All right. Well, good morning, Doxa. If I haven't had the chance to, to meet you, my name is Rob. It's great to see you. I was also part of the red team. <laughs> Feeling pretty good about myself today. Okay, so uh, today's going to be a good morning. But go ahead and grab your Bible. Uh, open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. All right, and while you get there, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, okay? Um, most every sermon, guys, that you, you listen to, most every sermon that's, that's preached can be really kind of divided into one of two categories. All right, you have your, your funeral-type sermons, and then you have your wedding-type sermons. And, and here's what I mean by that, okay? Your, your funeral sermons, you know, they tend to be, you know, just really convicting. They tend to be, like, really hard-hitting, then at, at times just, like, life-shattering, that you walk away, you're kind of just feeling the weight of your sin, you're feeling the weight of conviction. Now, on the other side, there's, there's these wedding-type sermons, all right? In, in wedding-type sermons, they're, they're really probably more exciting, they're, they're really enjoyable, they're, they're uplifting, they're, they're motivational, and I tell you all this to say this, guys, um, today is, is a funeral sermon. You're welcome. You know, you're visiting, you brought someone new, you're like, gosh, should have stayed home to say. But here's the thing, guys, regardless of the type of sermon, wedding or funeral, with Jesus and the gospel in sight, there's, there's always good news. All right, so we're in the gospel of Luke, chapter 16. We're journeying through this gospel. It's taken us the better part of a year. And what we're doing, since Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus is on the road. And he's walking to Jerusalem. And he's walking towards his death for our sin in our place and our salvation. All right, and until the middle of the 19th chapter, Jesus is on the road. And he's teaching people as he encounters them on the road what it means to follow him, what it means to, to live out the gospel, what it means to walk with Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. And today, as we get into to Luke 16, Jesus is going to give us a warning, all right? And he's going to tell us a, a story with really just a warning that has like three facets to it, okay? First, guys, he's, he's going to talk to us about the reality of, of heaven and hell, which are really just the two destinies of everyone who lives following their death. That, that at some point, you guys know this, at some point we're, we're all going to die. And the question remains then, okay, well, what happens then? And, and honestly, guys, this is probably one of the most significant questions that, that you can ask. What happens when we die? And Jesus is going to talk to us in a, in a loving way for the sake of, of information and transformation to give us salvation. It's not to condemn, but he's going to share with this with us. The second thing that Jesus is going to warn us about today is, is the way that we view money. And I want you to hear this, okay? It's not just the way that we view money, but it's the way that we use our money to care for the people who don't have it. All right? And he's going to talk to us. That this story that Jesus is, is telling, guys, I want you to know it's in the context of him talking to people who, who have lots of money. They love money, but they don't necessarily love people. All right, look at chapter 16. Verse 14, you see that in this context, Jesus, he's talking to Pharisees. He's talking to these people who, verse 14 says, who were lovers of money. All right, and this story is actually the third story within a series of stories that deal with money, okay? He told people about, in the story of the prodigal son, right? It's this idea of wasting the father's money. When we see the story of, of the dishonest man, manager who, who is pointing to this idea of wasting the master's money, and now we get this story of the rich man and Lazarus, which hits home on the wasting of personal money. So he's going to talk to us about that. All right, so he's talking to us about heaven and hell. He's talking to us about money and how we can use that to care for people, to help people who need it. And the third thing that Jesus is going to talk to us about today is a warning to us about listening to the word of God. And so we have a lot to cover 
We have a lot to, to wrestle with. And, and guys, here's how I want to handle all of this today. Okay, you, you're listening to this and maybe you're like, wow, this is kind of like a, a heavy morning. I told you up front, okay? Some of you, you know me, you know my heart for you. I love you. You know how I, I care about you. Some of you, you don't know me at all, right? And, and you're like, okay, well, how is he going to approach this? Guys, here's, here's how my, I'm going to approach this, okay? I'm just simply going to open up the Bible. And I'm just going to try and do what Jesus did. Jesus says repeatedly, if you read through the Bible, I tell you the truth. And so my goal and my posture this morning is to really just to stand up here, open up the Bible, and just do what Jesus did and say what Jesus said, just to simply tell you the truth. Now, you have to listen to that and, and hear it and decide what you want to do with it. That's your decision to make, okay? But we're just going to open it up, so let's get into this, okay? Luke chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 19, and this is what we see. It's this parable of the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores whom desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Verse 25, but Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that they may be warned lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced of someone who should raise from the dead. Okay, Jesus, he tells this story. Remember, he's on the road. He's teaching people what it means to be on the road with him. And he tells this story of the life, the death, and the eternal life of these two men. And it's really significant for you to know and to remember as we go through this, guys, that this is a parable. All right, this isn't an actual historical account, but Jesus is telling a parable, which is simply a, a story that he's telling to teach us a spiritual reality. He's teaching us a spiritual reality today as it relates to eternity, to money, to caring, people, caring for people who don't have money, and what it means to, to listen to the word of God. And so Jesus, he starts off by introducing us to two men who have radically different stories. They have radically different lifestyles. Take a look again at verse 19. All right, the rich man is first. He says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. Now, here's what you need to know. This guy wanted to live like a king. He wasn't a king. He was just a common everyday Jew, but he liked to think of himself as royalty. And we get a glimpse of this by looking at his wardrobe. He wore purple all the time. And you're like, okay, I'm not too sure the purple, right? Vikings fan? No, right? Go back. Anybody? Really? We're in Madison. Come on. You guys, lighten up. This is my attempt to be like, it's a funeral, but we can smile. 
okay? But he wears purple. And purple, guys, was a, was a color of royalty, all right? And it was really, really expensive. And so when it talks about this idea of him wearing purple, it was likely a Phoenician wool that had been imported and dyed by these very rare snails that were found on the Phoenician coast of Tyre. And what they, was, what they would have to do is they would collect thousands of these little snails, they would crush them, they would extract the dye, and they would dye the, the, the garments in this color. It was very, very expensive. All right, so the point of this is that this guy spent a ton of money on his wardrobe. He always wore purple. Now, on top of that, if you look at this, Jesus says that he wore fine linen. And that might not seem like a big deal, but, but really what fine linen actually means, it's the word underwear. All right, it was likely a, a fabric called byssus that was imported from, from Egypt, very expensive. And so it's almost like Jesus is u- using dry humor as he's, he's telling us this story. He's saying this guy, he, he had these elaborate clothes that spent a lot of money. In addition to that, he also had really nice underwear. All right? he, he dressed really, really good. The bottom line is this guy, he only had really expensive stuff, really nice, extravagant things. And if you look at the center of this guy's life, what was it? A table. It was a table that he feasted at every single day. He feasted every day sumptuously. All right, he w- it was extravagant living. And guys, we're getting a picture of a guy that just lived his life just filled with every indulgence that money could buy. In our modern day, it would be like the, the celebrities. You remember that show Cribs? Right? It's that kind of thing. Right? These are the guys that they have a ton of money. They only drink Evian water out of crystal goblets. Right? They have gold-plated toilet seats because their butts are sensitive and they can't get a rash because that'll affect what, you know, it's that type of thing. Right? This guy, he lived like this. Now, at this rich man's gate to his estate, so he had a big house, big enough that he put a gate around it to protect and keep people out because he wanted to see himself as a king. Outside the gate, there's this guy, Lazarus who is in really, really bad shape. Look at verse 20 and 21. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Okay, so Lazarus is just impoverished. He's crippled. He's in really bad shape. He has open sores on his body that dogs would come and lick, and he was so weak that he couldn't even push the dogs away. All right, so we get this this picture of like, okay, this guy is in really bad shape. Now, in addition to this, we, we know that this guy is a believer in God. Now, you can look at this passage and be like, where did you get that from? Because I didn't read this. But here's the thing, guys. As the Bible goes, oftentimes names in the Bible are very, very significant. And the name Lazarus, literally means the one whom God helps. And so this guy, he's poor. He's laid outside of the gate of this rich man's estate. He can't even walk there. And so people are thinking, okay, the only hope that this guy has is that if we carry him and just set him outside a wealthy man's house, and maybe that wealthy person will have some level of compassion and mercy, and they will be the only hope and the help that this guy could possibly get. Now, what do we see? Day after day, the rich man, he feasts. So much food, so much stuff, excess upon excess. And I want you to put yourself in Lazarus' shoes. He's laying there, he can't move, he can't help himself. 
And he's just sitting there and he's dreaming of the day that the scraps that fall off of this guy's table and hit the floor, that maybe, maybe one day this rich guy will send his servant out with those scraps. And instead of feeding them to the dogs, maybe he would give them to me. That would be a feast for Lazarus, to eat dog food, food off of the floor. We're getting this really sad, depressing, pathetic picture that Lazarus is just utterly rejected. And he's just a beggar. And he's a beggar, guys, that is so weak that he can't even walk around from person to person to beg for help. He just has to lay there in hope that someone would show mercy to him. And Lazarus, he just lays there outside this rich man's gate. And day after day, this rich man goes about his day and he walks right past Lazarus. Would not be surprised if he walks out his gate and actually steps over Lazarus, completely ignores him. Just acts like he's scenery and just is thinking, man, I just, maybe there's gonna become a day, hopefully this guy will die soon and then he'll be out of my way and I won't have to worry about this anymore. And you might be like, you're probably being a little harsh, Rob. Like maybe he just didn't see Lazarus. Maybe he just, you know, he was so busy and preoccupied that he just didn't see this guy. That, no, that's not the case because look at what this text says. This rich man, he most definitely knew who Lazarus was. He most definitely saw Lazarus because in eternity, he looks at Abraham and he looks and he sees Lazarus and he recognizes him. He even knows his name. But this guy, he was just without compassion. He was without mercy and he didn't help. Even though, guys, I want you to hear this. It would have been so easy for him to help this guy. He had the means to just give him something and help him and improve his life. Scraps from the table, dog food would have done, but he didn't do it. He, he cared about himself and only his pleasure. Now you hear all this and guys, hopefully you're asking the question, you're feeling this. How could anyone do this? If you're not asking that question, I mean, you probably need like some type of heart check, right? and just be like, what's going on that you wouldn't even ask that question, but how could somebody do this? To see this level of poverty and to see this level of, of hopelessness and helplessness and homelessness, this pathetic state of this guy, Lazarus, how could someone just ignore him? And even more, guys, how could someone who considered himself to be part of God's family, a Jew, how could a son of Abraham do something like this? I mean, doesn't, that just should bother us. I mean, how? Because you guys, you, we know that as a Jew, this rich man, he would have known the scriptures. He would have affirmed the Torah. And so how could a guy who claims to have faith in God, who claims to affirm the Torah and know all these things, how could he act like this? And guys, here it is. All right, I'll tell you this, guys. It's because he didn't take the word of God seriously. And while he might have had affinity towards God, he didn't have true faith that manifested itself in love and mercy and justice and obedience. And we know this to be true because as a Jew, guys, he would have certainly known the Old Testament scriptures. And knowing the Old Testament scriptures, like he would have known that God is, is very serious about justice and mercy and compassion. I mean, you guys, you cannot read the Bible. You cannot read the Old Testament and, and see this reality. But this guy, this rich man, he, he really just didn't care. He didn't take the word of God seriously. And I'm gonna demonstrate God's heart for, for mercy and compassion and justice by giving you just a brief theological sweep over this from the Old Testament that this rich man, he most certainly knew this, but he just didn't care. 
It's going to come up here on the screen. Hosea 6.6 says this, for I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God is saying, I desire mercy. More than your worship and, and all that you do for me, I desire mercy. Jesus actually quotes this two times in the New Testament. Mercy and compassion, guys, are God's heart cry. They're a loud heart cry that we hear as we get into the Bible. If we flip forward in Amos, in Amos chapter five, God says this, I hate, I despise your feasts and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But listen to this, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God says, I don't want your, your worship songs. I don't want your, your skinny jean wearing worship leaders. I don't want your lights and your things and your services and all the things that you do right here in this room. He's like, I don't want that. I want justice and mercy for people who are hurting. And then it'll go ahead again, Micah chapter six. We see this. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, oh man, what is good? Here it is, listen. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And so knowing the Old Testament, this guy would have known what his social posture and what his social ethics should be. And he knew that there is really no pleasing God and no true faith in walking with God without justice, mercy, and compassion. But this rich man, guys, he just did not care. He didn't care what God said. And as we see how he didn't care, guys, here's the important thing that you need to know. It shows us something about his heart towards God. So as James puts it in chapter one, he was deceived, right? He, he heard all these things, but he didn't act on them. And so he was deceived thinking that he was close to God, that he's actually far from God. And he might not have perceived himself, but that's the nature of being self-deceived. You don't know that you're deceived, but this is what he is. And I, and I tell you all this for a reason, all right? Because if you read this parable, just from the surface level, it can seem that this rich man went to hell because he wasn't generous and compassionate towards Lazarus. But I want you to know this, guys. The, this rich man, he, he didn't go to hell because he didn't give to the poor. All right, that's a, a surface level understanding and reading of this text. This was his eternity and his state for eternity because he disregarded God and he disregarded God's word. He didn't listen to God. He didn't obey God, he didn't love God, he didn't follow God. His life was lacking the fruit of the spirit, which is evidence of a man of God, of, of true faith. That he, he heard God's word and he just figured that this isn't relevant to me. It doesn't mean anything. He couldn't picture, he's like, my life is filled with everything. I got purple clothes, I got nice underwear, I got everything, I feast every single day. I don't need anything else. I certainly don't need God's word, I'm good. And so he just blew it off and he couldn't fathom anything bad happening to him because his life was just filled 
with so many good things. Pause. Does that sound like the city and the country that we live in? Because there's nothing new under the sun. We live in a world, especially in an affluent city like Madison, where we have most everything that we want. And the things that we actually do want is at the pinnacle of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's just the self-actualization where you just want to get, you know, you want to paint your cupboards, right? You want to get a new car that doesn't have a ding in the fender. But the actual thing, we have everything. And we don't think we need God. This was this rich man. And since he didn't think he needed God and he didn't need God's word, Not only did he not receive the message of justice and mercy, but he didn't receive the message of grace through faith. Now, look what we have next. Just like every single one of us, these two men, they eventually die. Look at verse 22. The poor man, he died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And so this poor man, Lazarus, who remember, who was carried to the gate of this rich man's house in the hopes that he would be helped. He is now, he dies, and he's now carried away by the angels. And it says that he's carried to Abraham's side. The more accurate translation of this is that he's carried to Abraham's bosom. Now, some of you guys, men, you're hearing this and you're thinking, I don't even know really what that means, but if I die and I have to snuggle up with some guy's bosom, I'm good, okay, I'll I'll pass, right? But this is not what this means, okay? It's not talking about snuggling up with another dude. This is a picture of a feast, right? In the ancient days, as people would dine and they would feast and they would celebrate, what they would kind of do is they would just kind of lean back and they would share like a community meal. And as they would talk to each other, they would kind of lean in on each other and just get really close and talk. It was this picture of celebration, feasting, and friendship. And this would have been totally acceptable in ancient days, even though now it would likely be really awkward because what? We like that 36 inches of personal space, if you're anything like me, yeah? No, we got a hugging church? Okay, that's great. You can all find Ronnie, he loves to do that, okay? Shake my hand, it'll be great. But this is what's going on. And so Lazarus, he longed to eat from the feast of the table, the rich man. Then he dies and he's carried away and he immediately, guys, hear this, this is beautiful. He's immediately, his life was spent longing to be at the feast. Then he dies and he immediately enters into this heavenly feast and this heavenly celebration. And it's important for us to know and to mention, guys, that Lazarus didn't go to heaven. He's not at Abraham's side because he was poor. Okay, you need to know that 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 would be a very socialist view, all right? A very like Marxist view of what's going on because it's not, it's not that money is evil and rich people are bad. There's too many rich godly people in the Bible. And it's not that, that being poor is, is this good godly thing. That's just not it. All right, Lazarus is in heaven and he's in glory and he's at the feast leaning against Abraham because he's walked through life, laid through life in his case with faith. And in his suffering, he clung to the promise of God through Abraham. And while in his earthly life, it didn't seem like God was there with him. But remember his name, the one whom God helps, that God comes through and he delivers him. And now he's in glory with him forever. This is Lazarus. 
This is his eternal reality. Now, the rich man has the opposite experience. He dies, is buried, and then we see in verse 23, take a look. In Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So this rich man, he, he dies, he has a funeral, he's, he's buried, and he finds himself in Hades. All right, he finds himself in hell. And it says that he is literally in torment. All right, and when it comes to this issue of death and what happens following death, guys, Jesus gives us, and I want you to know this, he gives us this parable to help us make the right decision, decisions with our lives and why we live right now. This is what, what it's all about. And so before we go any further, I want to br briefly mention some of the different views that people can have because, guys, we are surrounded by a culture that, that really is just has so many ideas and views of what happens when we die, and we need to be educated enough to know what it is that we should believe. And so the first view is what we can call the physicalist view. All right, this is a highly scientific view, all right? And really, it just, it just says that, that you don't have a soul, all right, that you're just a body, and when you die, your brain just kind of shuts down, and all your conscious reality is because of your brain. And so if your brain shuts down and you die, you just really just cease to exist. All right, many people believe this. It's not true, but it's an option. The second view can be called the, the universalist view. And this just teaches that, that really everyone goes to heaven. And some of you, you, you might believe this. I want you to know, I say this in a loving way, that's, that's a lie. We've, we've heard that like all religions end in the same place, that all paths, we're just going up a different mountain and we're all gonna end in the same place. And this sounds like a great option. And our world tends to propagate this, but it's just not true. Third view, you've probably heard of this, the, the reincarnationist view. All right, and this comes from big religions like Buddhism and Hinduism, and it teaches that we, have, we will have multiple successive lives that we'll die and then we'll come back and we'll have to do that in a cycle until we pay off our karmic debt to the God or the gods. Again, it's an option, it's not a reality. Now I say all those, those three views, these views are completely outside Orthodox Christianity. Meaning that you, you can't be a Christian and believe this because it's completely contrary to the gospel. The next two that I'm gonna share with you, however, we don't believe them to be true but there will be people who love Jesus and will be with us in heaven for eternity that believe these things, and one of which is called annihilationism. All right? And this just teaches that, that when someone dies who doesn't love and, and follow Jesus and don't have faith in Jesus, they're going to suffer for a while in hell, but then they're just going to cease to exist. I had a professor in seminary who is a professor at Trinity uh, Evangelical Seminary. Now, brilliant man, so many good things. But I was like, I think you're reading the Bible wrong. And when I would talk to him, you're like, well, who do you think you are? Like, right? I'm a guy with a Bible in his hand. That's all I am. And I look at, the, I, I would listen to him, like, explain his view of this. And what it comes down to is he couldn't rationalize a God being full of love and allowing people to spend eternity in hell. And so he, we create these different theological systems that we, we think about when it comes to eternity. It's not true, but some people teach this. Now, the fifth option, if you grew up Catholic, you're going you're to know this, this view. It's called purgatory. And this just teaches that, that when people die, they're going to they're gonna suffer for a while until they pay off their sin, and then they might get to heaven after that. And, and this is a widespread belief. The problem with it, guys, is it's literally not found in the Bible. 
you, you can't find it. And it's, it's not true. And so we have to ask the question, okay, well, what does the Bible say then? And while Christians can debate on this issue of what the exact things of, of hell are like, you need to know this, guys. This text, along with the rest of the Bible, it teaches that the suffering that we will experience in the afterlife apart, afterlife apart from Jesus is permanent. It's, it's permanent. And once you enter into the conscious reality of hell, there is a chasm that exists that cannot be crossed. And this flies, guys, it flies in the face. It's not popular. It flies in the face of like traditional teachings of, of like Mormonism. You know, that, that view that there's like three degrees of glory, that someday someone will be able to cross over into the heavenly realms in one of these degrees of glory, depending on how they live their lives. But I want you to know that no matter how hard people pray for you when you die, no matter how hard you pray when you're dead or whatever, you know, how, how good of a life you lived, like there is no crossing over. And this is what this rich man is experiencing. And he describes it as, as being in torment. Now, the story ends with a dialogue. A dialogue with, with three parts, okay, between the rich man and Abraham. And there's one overarching point to this whole thing. And what we're going to see as we look at this rich man, guys, is we're going to see the blindness of a damned man without God. Just completely blind. Look at the first part of this dialogue, verse 24. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in the flame. I want you to notice here, guys, the rich man doesn't even speak to Lazarus. He doesn't even acknowledge that he exists. He just speaks to Abraham and just completely ignores Lazarus in the exact same way that he ignored him when he was laying outside of his gate asking for help. And here, the rich man, he just wants someone to come and serve him again, like he did in his, in his, his earthly life. And so he says, hey, Abraham, send the beggar. I'm too good to even say anything to him, but send the beggar to me so he can serve me. He's just completely still in eternity, just completely self-absorbed. He's so far from the heart of God. And we, don't, he's, we see he doesn't even repent. He probably thinks he's in good standing with God. He's saying, Father Abraham. He's like, there's gotta be, there's gotta be some kind of mistake. Like, why, why am I here? But look what Abraham says, verse 25. Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all of this, between you, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Because Abraham is not mad at this rich man. He addresses him as child. It's almost like he's talking to someone he loves and is just saying, gosh, you messed up. You had your chance. And as this guy is in punishment and torment, Abraham is saying, you lived your life and there was a chance, there was hope for you and there was good things in store from you. But now the chasm that exists between you and God, while it was so easily crossable, while you lived your life on earth, 
through just faith and obedience to God. Now, there's no hope. You're eternally separated from God. And I think this is when kind of the realization of, of what is actually happening in his life kind of sets in with this rich guy. Because for the first time, we see him start to think about someone else other than himself. Look at the second part of this dialogue, verse 27. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that they may be warned, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. The rich man who still isn't addressing Lazarus. He says, okay, if the beggar is not gonna come and serve me, then at least send him as like an errand boy to go tell my family. Still no hint of repentance. He doesn't realize like how far, he's just completely blind to how messed up his view of life and everybody is. And he says, send him to go tell my family. He's just concerned about himself and his family. And Abraham says, this is not the way it works, that, that everything that God has said about the issue of, of death and life and sin and obedience and faith and heaven and hell. It's been provided to the world. It's been provided to you. It's been provided to your family through the prophets and through Moses. And Abraham is saying, guys, and you need to hear this, okay? This is, like what, this is so important that God has revealed everything that we need to know about himself, about us, about sin, about life, about eternity through the Bible. The question is, is will, will people listen to God or will they go their own way and do what la this rich man did and just say, I don't need God, I don't need his word and they end up with the rich man. Now the third part relates to this saying, verse 30, the rich man says, no, hold on, Father Abraham, you don't get it. But if somebody goes, he's trying to teach him like a theological lesson. He's like, no, it's not about the word of God, but here's what you actually need to do. Just do this for me. Serve me with this and help my family out. If someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear, so Abraham hears this and he says, if they don't hear from Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The rich man says, okay, they're not gonna listen to the word of God, but if a dead man comes back to life and he shows up and he walks into their kitchen and says, hey, surprise, I'm back, maybe they'll listen and they'll repent and they'll turn and they'll believe in God and they won't end up where I'm at. Please just do that. Raise somebody from the dead. Send Lazarus to give them a warning. And Abraham is saying, if they don't listen to the word of God, if they don't listen to Abraham or Moses and the prophets, they're not gonna listen to anything. Now, if you know your Bible, you remember another man named Lazarus, right? The brother of, of Mary and Martha, Jesus's friend in the Gospel of John. Lazarus dies and what does Jesus do? He does a miracle and he speaks and he says, Lazarus, come out of your grave. And by his word, Jesus brings a dead man back to life and Lazarus walks out and he's alive. And people still don't believe. Now, if you know the core tenets of Christianity, you know that there was another man that was killed, Jesus. He was killed, he was buried. After three days, what did he do? He came back to life. Hundreds of people saw him, the world knew about it, and we still don't believe. Guys, there is always a reason for unbelief in this world. And Abraham is, is saying, like, you have all the evidence, you have the scriptures, you, you have 
everything. What is causing your unbelief? So with all of this, guys, we, we ask the question, okay? Deep breath, okay? What, is this, what does this mean for us? I mean, what are we to do with it? Two things. Number one, because what Jesus calls the greatest two commandments, they stand and fall together. Okay? Another way to put that is that the vertical affects the horizontal. All right, that we cannot say that we love God vertically and don't live that out horizontally. Because this shows us something about our heart and our posture with God. That some people will say, man, I got this great vertical love for God and, and we don't treat or care or do anything for the horizontal, for the people that are around us. It shows us something of the posture of our faith and our true faith. Because listen to this, in 1 John, the Apostle John, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, just listen. If anyone has the world's goods, if anyone has riches and sees his brother in need, sees a Lazarus type person, yet closes his heart against him, here it is. How does God's love abide in him? James, Jesus' little brother, says this in chapter 2, verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, one of you Christians says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but without giving them the things that they need for the body, what good is that? John doesn't see how it's possible to actually love God and neglect the needs of people around you that, that have really tangible needs. He's like, I don't, I don't understand that. In James, likewise, he doesn't see how a person can claim to have faith and not meet the needs of, of tangible things that people around us need. And so in effect, both James and John are viewing uncaring, stingy people, despite their affirmations of faith, as lost and without God. And essentially, this is what Jesus has spoken to us today through this parable. That if we truly love and follow Jesus vertically, it's going to affect the way that we live horizontally. It's going to be evidence of our faith. That loving Jesus, guys, your life will say the right thing about Jesus. The story of Jesus will be played out in your life. And so that's something for you to think about. You evaluate your life and be like, is the story of Jesus being played out in my life? I mean, how am I loving horizontally? Because guys, that says something about your love vertically. Number two, our eternity hinges on our listening to and responding to the word of God. When we talk about the word of God, when we talk about the Bible, the Bible is literally God's words to us. We see passages like this, it's inspired by God, breathed out by God, it's profitable for us. And you need to know this about the Bible, is that the Bible is all about Jesus. Every page, every chapter, every book is ultimately about Jesus. And that's why we seek to be a Bible-saturated family. That's why we take the Bible seriously. That's why we preach the Bible. That's why we sing the Bible's truths. This is why we live in light of the Bible. This is why we live under the authority of the Bible and hear from God and do what he says because life hinges on that. It's all about Jesus. And here's what the Bible says. Listen to this, guys. 
in John 3.36, you can look, it'll be on the screen. We see this. And, and when it comes to what happens when I die, the Bible shows us, Jesus shows us as a loving God. He just is saying, I want you to know this. Here's the options that we have. Whoever believes in the Son, this is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. Option one. Whoever doesn't, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Because those are really the two options that we have. That we all are broken and we're objects of, of wrath apart from Jesus because we all are messed up with sin. Me, you, we're sinful people and sin separates us from God. There's this chasm. And so we're objects of wrath and apart from Jesus, we exist and remain in that for eternity. But God... Jesus is the way. And so I want you to realize this, guys. Heaven and hell are not ultimately the issue. Jesus is the issue. Heaven and hell are implications of that issue. And so don't overlook Jesus too quick and start arguing and wondering about heaven and hell. First, ask yourself, have I believed and entrusted in Jesus? Is Jesus my savior? Is he my Lord? Has he taken my sin? Has he brought me to God? This is the issue. And if the answer is yes, you can know for certain, which is what Luke says is the purpose of him writing. In Luke chapter one, verse four, he's like, I'm writing you, Theophilus. I'm writing you, Rob Warren. I'm writing you, Doxa Church, so that you can know for certain that if this is you, you're gonna be with Lazarus in Jesus forever. But if not, the wrath of God remains on you. These are really just the options, guys. Now, let me tell you my posture with this, guys, and we're going to wrap up. Last week night, during the last session of the men's retreat that I was speaking at, I get a call from uh, my old co-pastor back in Ohio, the church that I was pastoring there. And he called me just to tell me that one of the girls that was part of the church that I was friends with, and some of you in this room were friends with her, just had suddenly died just freak thing, had a surgery to help out with something and got a blood clot and over, done. And that got me, me thinking, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, I guess, yeah, death is real. And then I started thinking, there's another guy, his name is John Drage. He's a pastor of the network that I used to be part of in Ohio before we planted here, and he just got diagnosed with a brain tumor. And this is a man that has largely influenced my life and discipled me. And I remember one of the first Christian men that I ever looked up to, extremely godly man. And he just got, I just found out yesterday on my way home from Milwaukee that the doctors gave him seven to 12 months to live. And I woke up this morning feeling like the weight of this sermon and like, do you, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> like, I, no, I don't. I have to. It's my job, you know, I can't stand before God and be like, I forgot to tell them about the reality of what happens after they die. But I started thinking about in the shower this morning, okay, well, yeah, man, Lisa's friend, just like two weeks ago that she grew up with, three kids out of nowhere, dropped dead in a mall. Death is all around us. Some of our salt company students have lost parents in the last couple weeks. Like it's all around us. And I tell you that because I need you to know the truth. 
I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to miss this, guys. And so I'll say it as clearly and plainly and lovingly as I can. And I say it as a, as a dying man to dying men and women. Because I love you. It's as Paul says in Corinthians, I implore you to be reconciled to God. I just want you to know the truth so you can be with me in eternity with Jesus forever. But you need to know this, guys. Without Jesus, you are in real danger. Eternity is at stake. And what Jesus says in John 14, 6, he lays it out for us. And if he wouldn't have said stuff like this, he wouldn't have been killed. But here's what he says. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's not Buddhism. It's not Hinduism. It's not Mormonism. It's not New Ageism. It's not being a Jehovah's Witness. It's not being a good person. It's not being a generous person. It's not being rich. It's not being poor. It's not being religious. It's none of that. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus says. And my job as a Bible teacher is to simply just open up the word and just give you Jesus, just to tell you the truth. And I'm saying it as someone who just wants you to know it. Now you have to make a decision on what to do with all this. So I'll end with this. I told you at the beginning, funeral sermon, but with the gospel in sight, there's always good news. Take a look at this, Acts chapter four, verse 12. Get this beautiful gospel picture in the midst of a funeral sermon. And there is salvation. Guys, there is salvation. It doesn't matter how far away from God you feel like you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. There is salvation that Jesus is alive and well and he's raised from the dead. He's defeated hell. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death. And you can taste that salvation and live in that certainty that God wants you to have. And Luke is giving us this because he's saying there's salvation. It's Jesus. But he says, in no one else, it's only Jesus. No other name under heaven given among my men must we be saved by. It's Jesus, guys. This is it. Salvation is there in the midst of a funeral, in the midst of the shrouds of death. There is great news that Jesus has come, he's lived, he's died, and he's raised, and he's sitting at the throne. And he's ruling, and he loves you. And through faith, we can be with him. Let me pray. God, uh, I, uh, I feel heavy. I feel the weight of your words here. I think of family and friends that, that don't know you and I'm scared for them. And so thanks for, for your word, for being honest enough and loving enough to give it to us even though it might make us squirm. And God, just um, would you just remind us, teach us, the gospel, as we sing your truths, 
I pray for anybody in this room who hasn't come to you, who's unsure of their eternity, that they would have the confidence and the courage to say yes to you this morning. Speak to them. Touch their heart. Move them in a way that they know that this is real. It's not a game. It's not a storybook. But it's eternity. And I pray that they would come to Jesus. I pray for the Christians in this room that we would experience your love and live it out. Would we not be just people who pretend and put on the facade and walk by people that are hurting, but let us love justice and mercy and compassion like you do. So speak to every single one of us. Tell us what our next step is. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.